going to move on now to the reading and proclaiming of God's Word. But to set us up, perhaps you remember uh, the movie Forrest Gump. And in that movie, Forrest goes on a long run. For three years, he crisscrosses the country. He gets noticed, right? Magazines and television crews. He even starts picking up followers who run behind them. People thinking that Forrest has some wisdom or secret to impart, or is just somehow living the right life. He knows something that others don't, whatever it might be. So after three plus years, Forrest is running in the desert, right? There's a whole band of followers behind him, and all of a sudden he stops and he turns to them. And his first follower yells, quiet, he's going to say something, right? With the kind of feeling like, finally, he's going he's gonna to tell us a secret. And all Forrest says is, I'm pretty tired, think I'll go home now. And he starts walking away. And what the first follower yells after him is, now what are we supposed to do? Right? That, that, that disappointment, that fear, that befuddlement, that's a tiny fraction of how these disciples were feeling in this passage. Jesus has just told them he's leaving, and they are distraught. Well, this is what he wants them to remember. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we're grateful for your word, and we simply ask that you would help us to come here this morning hungry, hungry for your word, hungry for your truth, hungry for the life of your son, Jesus Christ, uh, that he might be present here among us by your spirit, that we might experience him, engage him, see him uh, in various ways. Please speak to us now through your word and make us more and more like your son. Help us to know him as the way. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Long-distance relationships are really hard. I'm speaking about romantic long-distance relationships. I had two in my early adulthood. The first one ended in heartbreak. The second one ended in marriage. So I'm one for two. But I don't recommend long-distance relationships. And that's sort of the situation here. The relationship between Jesus and his disciples is going from in-person every day to long distance. It's going to be different and difficult, and it's causing deep anxiety among the disciples. And so Jesus is trying to encourage them. Let not your hearts be troubled, he starts with. And he shares with them a few deep, encouraging truths, like, I'll be thinking of you when I'm gone, right? I'm working to create a place for you. I'm coming back for you. I want us to be together. And all of it is around them being faithful to him. Remain faithful, He's the only one for them. He's the only way to the Father. There's no one else and nothing else out there better for them than Jesus. Now, there's another kind of long-distance relationship, one that people enter into having never really been together. Maybe they met at a weekend wedding or on vacation or at a camp or online. 
but they never really did life together to begin with. See, John is writing to people in that situation with Jesus. Like us, they had never met Jesus in the flesh. They didn't spend three years walking through Israel together. So why should they or we stick to this long-distance relationship? Why should our neighbors or co-workers consider entering into this long-distance relationship? Particularly when Jesus says, I'm the only way. That sounds pretty presumptuous, if not offensive. I mean, pretty soon that's going to be considered hate language. It might not be the best way to start a relationship. What does Jesus mean when he says he's the only way, the only one for us? And should we take that seriously? Why would we give ourselves to him as opposed to the thousands of other options for life out there? This passage helps us answer some of those questions. But we have to recognize the two different audiences. First, his original disciples. What did these words mean for them? And then, for all the people who came after Jesus left, how are these words meaningful for them, for us? Is Jesus the only one, the only way? Well, let's look at that. First, we're going to look at it for the disciples. Jesus is the only way for his disciples. Jesus starts by saying to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, last week we talked about these powerful warnings that Jesus was giving his disciples about their sin and their potential and capacity to sin. That's not what these disciples are troubled about, unfortunately. They're troubled by Jesus' words that he was leaving them, and where he was going, they could not come. This was deeply upsetting and troubling for the disciples, because back then, becoming a disciple of a rabbi meant taking on a holy life. This was like becoming a monk. They had committed themselves to be disciples of a rabbi, and being a, a disciple of a rabbi was a known vocation. There was a, a whole culture and expectations around it. This had become their lives, their future. They were following Jesus, the rabbi, who they also thought and hoped was the Messiah, not just any rabbi, but the one God had promised, the one Israel longed for. The one who would bring Israel back to its faith and free it from the nations. Think about the most passionate entrepreneurs and startup founders. Then think about the most passionate religious devotees. Then think about the most passionate patriots and nationalists. Combine these together, and that's the hope and commitment and expectations these disciples had for Jesus. And Jesus is telling them, I'm leaving, and you can't come with me. To them, it would feel like their life's work and aspirations were crumbling. All of it had been a waste. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Hey, you know what it's like to believe in God, to have to trust him with your life, even when you can't see him. Do that with me. Trust me. The faith you have in God, in the God of Israel, put that faith in me. Why? Because this isn't a forever goodbye. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is saying, look, there's work for me to do for you. I'm preparing a place for you. His going to the cross, his resurrection, his ascension back up to heaven, his ruling from there are all enabling his disciples to be with Jesus one day in his kingdom, in the new heavens and new earth. 
This is all about being together, Jesus is saying. I'm going away so we can be together forever. And Jesus makes it clear this this won't be all a complete mystery to them. He says in verse 4, you know the way to where I'm going. Right? You will grow into this reality. You will draw near to me and the Father in heaven. And Thomas speaks for the disciples saying, we have no idea where you're going. How could we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The path to knowing God more, the path to freedom and forgiveness, the path to overcoming death and receiving eternal life is me, Jesus is saying. Trust in me. That's the way, me. There is no other way. Now, why does he add that for his disciples, this exclusive claim, I am the only way? I think because without Jesus around, the disciples would be tempted to try other paths, right? There, there were other rabbis to follow, various movements to get behind. Maybe there was another path to the true God and seeing him work decisively in Israel, right? Jesus has left. But Jesus is saying there isn't another path. Remain faithful to me. I am the only way. Because, he explains in verse 7, knowing me is knowing the Father, the covenant God of Israel. Seeing me is seeing the Father. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus is the Father's full self-disclosure, his full revelation. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. So his disciples are to remain his disciples, even though he's gone, to not try other paths, but to put their trust in Jesus like they do in God himself. He won't stay dead. He will be resurrected, so they shouldn't give up on him. He will come back for them, bringing them into his kingdom. It's a long-distance relationship, but it won't last forever. So remain faithful. Stay true to Jesus. Now, that pitch works for people who spent years at Jesus' side, sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching, watching him do miracles. Jesus is making primarily a personal and emotional appeal to his disciples. But what about the people who come later, people like us in our generation? That same kind of appeal won't work for us. Why should any of us enter into this long-distance relationship with Jesus. Why should we trust him? And how dare we think or say that he is the only way for us or anyone else? Well, that's the second point here, and it's longer. Jesus is the only way for us. We're going to look at a few things Jesus says here to help us understand how he is the only way and why. First, many rooms. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms, or On my father's estate, there are many homes. One way the disciples might have heard these words is, hey, there's lots of space for all of you to be with me and my father in my kingdom. But for us, it's not so much the space or the rooms, but the amount of people. In my father's house, there are many rooms because as we learn elsewhere, like in Revelation, there will be people without number there, more than we can count. Many rooms doesn't just mean a rich, lavish host and life. It means many, many people. Often those who emphasize the exclusivity of Jesus do so in a way contrary to what Jesus says here. He says there are many rooms. 
Uh, to use another Forrest Gump illustration, little Forrest getting on the bus for the first time, right? And he's walking down the aisle, and people keep moving over in their seats to not let him sit down, right? They keep saying, seat's taken. There's no room for you. And that's what people can hear from Christians who proclaim the exclusivity of Jesus. Seat's taken. No room for you. You're wrong and bad. You've chosen the wrong path. Shame on you. You're going to miss out. But that's not how Jesus operated. In his time, Jesus was scandalous not for his exclusivity, but for his inclusivity. Jesus engaged the lowest of the low, the people furthest away from God, whether unclean or unwell or terrible sinners or non-Jews. Jesus had time and love and a seat at the table for each of them. Why? Because there are many rooms in his father's house and he wants them all filled. This was scandalous. In fact, the only people Jesus was harsh with were the self-righteous religious authorities who wanted to keep the messy people as far away as possible. Jesus told them, people will come from east and west and north and south, and they will sit down with him in his kingdom. But, if they, will, but they will be shut out if they cling to their pride and arrogance. I have to believe that people get angry at Christian claims that Jesus is the only way, mostly because that then gives some Christians, or what they feel like, a license to treat non-Christians as less than. Christians can operate with arrogance and pride, not respecting other people's positions or belief systems. What is bothersome is how Christians act upon these exclusive claims, more than the exclusive claims themselves. But if you proclaim and affirm the exclusivity of Jesus, that he is the only way, then you also have to affirm and proclaim and live the inclusivity of Jesus. That everyone is invited. No one is far too gone, too far gone. People will be included that you would never have guessed. And God will bring in people you would never have allowed, like yourself. If you proclaim Jesus, then you know you're with him, not because of your goodness or efforts or theology, but it's because of his grace. God's grace is great enough even to bring you in. So certainly his grace is is big enough for anyone and everyone else. When Christians talk about Jesus, they shouldn't lead with, hey, Jesus is the only way, so you better get on board. They should lead with, come and see Come and meet the God who has all kinds of space, so many rooms, even for people like you and me. One reason I'm happy that Jesus is the only way is because I don't know of any other actual way that is more inclusive, more open to anyone and everyone. And Jesus can be so inclusive because he's the one who does the preparation. He prepares, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, have told, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, etc., etc. Not only is there space in the Father's house, but Jesus is preparing that space for his people. What are these rooms or homes or spaces? Well, Jesus is referring ultimately to his kingdom. When he comes uh, in his glory, Jesus will return. The dead will be resurrected in new, imperishable bodies. Heaven will come to earth. The dwelling of God will be with man. Earth will be made the Eden it was always meant to become. Jesus preparing a place for us there 
means adding us to its citizenship roles, the citizenship roles of the new Jerusalem. And now, ruling from heaven and using all things to make sure that we arrive there safely. That's him preparing a place. His death on the cross pays for our sin. His resurrection guarantees us eternal resurrection life. His ascension to the Father's right hand means he is in control of history and he lives to intercede for us right now. All of this is what it means by preparing a place for us. Our own darkness and sin, our death, and this world that seems to run by chaos and chance. Jesus has overcome all of these. And he's working everything for our good, which is an eternal place in his kingdom. And what needs to be emphasized is, Jesus is the one preparing it, not you or I. Some people can mischaracterize the Christian life as simply building up one's case to make it to heaven. Do more good than bad. Give away enough money. Go to church enough. Serve enough. Read the Bible. Pray enough. Man, I hope I did enough. I hope my resume is good enough. As if, it were we, as if we were the ones who have to prepare our own place in heaven. No. Our resume would never be good enough. Jesus has to prepare our place. It's a little bit like when Aaron and I were engaged to be married. Right? I was in St. Louis. She was working here in Sunnyvale, this long-distance relationship. I was going to move back here. We needed a home here, and she did all that work. She found this awesome studio apartment in downtown Palo Alto. Fantastic location, and let me recommend a studio for newlyweds, right, because there's nowhere to hide from each other when you're in a studio. But Aaron got it all ready, furnished, decorated. I wasn't moving in until our wedding night. It was a perfect little home for us, and I added nothing. Zero. I did nothing. Most of the time I was out of town. But more than that, you wouldn't want me adding anything or contributing anything. It would have marred the beauty. I have zero skills in making a home warm and livable. I needed Aaron to prepare that place for us. Only Aaron could do it, not me. Jesus is the one who prepares this place for us. And then he gives it to us. We don't prepare it. This is about grace, not your goodness or efforts. And if Jesus is the one who prepares our place, then we don't get to look down on anyone. Jesus is the one doing all the work. And I don't know of any other way, any other religion, where it is God himself who does all the work, who makes all the preparation for people like us. Ultimately, we see that in the way that Jesus talks about himself, verse 4. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus here is specifically talking about the way to the Father, God in heaven, the covenant God of Israel in the Old Testament. What is the way to God? All kinds of people have asked and tried to answer that question throughout recorded history. But Jesus' answer is unique because most of the answers for how to get to God contain a series of to-dos. You've got to eat a certain way, dress a certain way. 
You have to do a certain amount of specific pilgrimages. You have to pray a certain way. You have to give a certain amount of wealth away. You have to avoid certain kinds and types of people and things. And most of all, you have to be a good person. Your goodness has to outweigh your badness. But Jesus gives us a radically different answer. He says that the way to God is a person, himself. That he does all, the, all that's required for us for both Jew and Gentile, loving God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind, loving his neighbor as himself. He only has goodness, no badness, no sin. He only authentically related to God and to others. And he gave himself away for the sake of all of us, even his enemies. No one has greater love. No one has a higher righteousness. No one comes even close. He is the way. There's nothing you or I could do that compares. We can never make this way on our own. So how can a person, how can Jesus be our way to God? By entrusting ourselves to him. That's how Jesus starts this paragraph. Believe in me. Trust me. That's how Jesus becomes your way. It's not one more thing to do. It's someone to receive. You are trusting rather than earning and working. You are trusting God's grace and love, that there are many rooms, even for you, and that Jesus is the one who prepares the place, not you. That's what you are trusting. And the wonderful thing is, what Jesus will describe in just a moment, is that trusting Jesus now enables you to connect with him even while he's in heaven. By trusting him, he lives in you, and you begin to experience communion with him. He is available to us now. And that's why Christians can say Jesus is the only way, because they've interacted with him. They've experienced him. He is alive and available to me now. If that's the case, then he is the truth and the life. He is the answer and the way. There is no other way. We are in a culture that lives by resumes and accomplishments, and we can turn the Christian life into that as well. A bunch of do's and not do's right? Achievements. But that's not the way to God. We do not achieve forgiveness or new life or a place in heaven. We receive it from Jesus. The Christian life, the Christian way is all about trusting Jesus, not ourselves. Everyone is looking for or thinks they've found something like the way to God. If not God, specifically people are seeking the way to happiness, Fulfillment, freedom, virtue, significance, justification. And there's a lot of decent wisdom out there. Most religions can have a positive impact on your life due to community and a focus on something greater, right? And an emphasis on moderation and restraint. Yoga will do you a lot of good. So will mindfulness meditation. Avoiding sin is generally a good strategy and it will serve you well. And a lot of non-religious people really try to live that way. But Jesus is claiming and offering more than this. He is saying he is God himself. If you know me, you know the Father. The Son of God took on our humanity to pay for our sin and win us forgiveness and eternal resurrected life. And he's working all things to create a new physical reality where millions upon millions of people are at peace with each other and with God. A place where selfishness and arrogance and dehumanization and violence are banished. 
No other way or religion offers this particularly with as much historical corroboration. Jesus is the only way to this. But look, I cannot demonstrably publicly prove that Jesus is the only way to this kingdom, the only way back to full fellowship with God, with your creator. It is something that must be experienced and received. You have to come and see. Now, why would you? Long-distance relationships are hard. Why give this one a shot? Well, instead of considering Jesus as the only way, consider the way of Jesus, how he lived his life, his truth, right? His life and truth were that no one was too far gone from God. No one was a lost cause. Everyone deserved dignity. Everyone was wanted, and he did something about it. He lived in humiliation and poverty. He accepted abuse and rejection. He went to a brutal death out of love for people, even us. He trusted God, his Father, to raise him from the dead, and that's what happened. He didn't do this just to leave us a good example of a good life, but so that he could put us on his back and take us to God. Isn't that worth exploring? Someone who lives that Did you notice what Jesus said in verse 3? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He's preparing a place for them in his kingdom, but the point is so that they may be there where he is also. He wants to take them to himself. For his disciples, for us, the real reward of heaven is being with, is being united to Jesus. That's heaven. Heaven is being with Jesus. Where Jesus is, that's heaven. Because no one has loved us like he has. And no one's love has the power to transform us like his can. But if Jesus is so intent on bringing us to him that we might be with him, then for him, heaven is being with us. For us, heaven is being with Jesus. But for Jesus, heaven is being with us. Can you believe that? that you are that important to Jesus, that you are wanted and loved that much by him? Now, I know how many of us think, right? If someone wants to be with me really badly, what's wrong with them, right? Many of us are drawn to the people who reject us or who are out of reach. The people who actually like us and want to be with us, well, they're a little bit off, undesirable. But that's not how we were created to think. Years ago, when we were one church in two locations with our Palo Alto site, we used to have session meetings uh, where the elders and the pastors got together and met to do church business. We used to have those session meetings up in Palo Alto, Monday or Tuesday evenings. And we would meet for several hours and uh, then go to a a local bar for beers afterwards. And this was a sweet time of, of fellowship and decompressing. We all loved it. I remember one time very clearly, though, We had just gotten to this bar after our long meeting, and it was already getting late. My daughters at the time were like two or three years old, and they were going to be up early and ready to play the next morning. I remember looking at the clock that night and thinking, I want to be up and bright-eyed and ready to play with them tomorrow morning. That's what I most want. Now, most of you know I love a good party, and back then I was usually the last to leave. But that night, it wasn't even a choice. No competition. I just got up and left. Because there was no other place on earth I wanted to be 
than there with my girls in the morning playing with them. And that's how love works. We happily give up things to be with the people we love. Doesn't this aspect of Jesus confirm our instincts about God? God must be love. God must love and want what he has created. So if there is a creator God, wouldn't it be Jesus? A God who loves us so much that he would go to the cross to bring us to himself? A God who would do anything, go to any length to make heaven with us? Surely that's who God is. And Jesus is his perfect revelation. You know Jesus, you know God. He's the only way. Come and see. Let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful that you came and you lived and died and fought for us. And now you reign in heaven and you uh, live to intercede for us. You are preparing a place for us and you are working all things uh, for the good of your people. And so I pray that we would be your people, that we would receive you and entrust ourselves to you and that we would experience you in our lives Uh, And that we would be encouraging and inviting others to come and see and to join you and to meet you. Uh, Please do this among us. Help us to know that, that heaven is to be with you. Help us to taste and see that goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.